Halloween right around the corner. What are we dressing up as? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Joker. Maybe Jimbo has a Joker outfit for me. Thanks, Coach. Hello and welcome in. Today is Monday, October 31st. Quick tip of the cap to Nick Saban. Today's his birthday, but also a quick tip of the cap to all of you parents out there that are going to be cruising the streets in search of candy. Yeah, big day today here in the McElroy household. I'm sure you're excited. I have a four-year-old, well, nearly a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. The one-year-old's not really 100% sure what's going on, but today's Vince's Super Bowl. That's my son. Uh, So big day here in the McElroy household. Thanks for being with us. We are so, so happy to have you. What a great weekend it was for college football. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We have a lot to get to, okay? We finally learned about Ohio State. You're going to say, whoa, whoa, hang on. Whoa, whoa. I'll explain in a minute. Hang in there. We also learned that Tennessee is no longer a one-trick pony. I'm going to explain here in just a minute. And one of the best teams in the country can become very human, very human, if they have self-inflicted mistakes. I'm talking about the Georgia Bulldogs. Probably going to dive into them a little bit as well. One of the most dominant performances I think I've ever seen. We're going to hit that one involving a team that was ranked, well, was ranked in the top 10. And because we are the unofficial voice of the TCU Horn Frogs, we are going to document and detail every ounce of excitement that that game provided us on the road in Morgantown just last but but just two days ago, whatever it was. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not I'm not really there right now. Like it's a big grind. Tessator dragged me to a fight after our game. We went called the Notre Dame Syracuse game, and then Tessator drove me all the way from Central New York to New York City to go to a Lomachenko fight. So I'm running on a little less sleep than usual. But hey, who cares? It's always college football. We're gonna find the energy. If not, we're gonna fake it till we make it, baby. So let's break down these games. All right, let's start with the Buckeyes and their dominance in Happy Valley. You're going to say, Greg, dominance? So yeah, the fourth quarter was dominant. <laughs> all right? That was, for all intents and purposes, flawless in the fourth quarter of that football game. And if that's what we got for 60 minutes, Ohio State's the best team in the country. But we didn't get it for 60 minutes. And if you look at how Penn State played, and we talked about it a little bit last week, I thought Penn State matched up better than most teams will, right? They can run. They're athletic. I think they do a pretty good job in the back end. They have a physical secondary that will tackle in the open field. Like Penn State matches up pretty well. But that was about as good of a short period of time as you could see. Outside of maybe Louisville's third quarter performance. More on that here in just a little bit. But when you look at what the Buckeyes did in the fourth quarter, if we got that all the time, they, they win the national championship. That you, you heard it here. If we got that version of the Buckeyes for a 60-minute period against quality competition, they win the national championship. The problem is it took a little while to get there. Of course, they entered into the fourth quarter. Didn't really look great. Defensively, I was very impressed with some of the things they were able to pull off, including... I mean, I know he's been kind of buried behind all the conversation behind Mike Hall and, and Zach Harrison, but JT Tuimolo Al is a monster. Okay. <laughs> this dude turned in an all time great performance. And I've, 
it's it's easy to be a prisoner of the moment and kind of explain that was one of the best, most dominant defensive performances I've ever seen. Okay, it's easy to say that right now, a day or two after the game, right? It's so easy to say that. But when we're actually talking about the fact that this guy registered six tackles, three tackles for a loss, two sacks, two interceptions, including a pick six, a forced fumble, a recovered fumble, and deflected a pass that led to an interception. Okay, no FBS player in the 2000s has had two interceptions, two sacks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery in one game. None. Not to mention a pick six and tip ball pass that led to another interception. Tui Moloau was the best player on the field. It was not even close. And I was, I mean, he'd, you know, he'd been these, one of these guys, you know, one of these blue chip, all-American recruits. And it's like, I just wait for this guy. He's coming. Well, it maybe took a little longer than we anticipated, but goodness gracious, he made his presence felt this past weekend. Unbelievable performance. I do think they need to get a little better run in the football. If there's one thing, hey, you know what we do here? We celebrate, and then we give an area of improvement. That's, that's usually where we live. All right? They got to be better running the football. And, and I think if you look at the second consecutive game, they really failed to get anything going on the ground. I mean, if you look at how Penn State played, for instance, against Michigan just a couple weeks ago, Penn State, they've been good in all but that game against the run all year. But this is probably the most explosive rushing attack that they faced outside of Michigan. And Michigan, seeing how they cut through them like a hot knife through butter, made me a little bit troubled by the fact that this offensive line of Ohio State couldn't really get a whole lot going. I was a little bit disappointed, I thought, uh, in that group. Because when you think about it, man, 98 yards, less than four yards per carry. And that's all factoring in the 41-yard run by Henderson. That group, I think, collectively needs to be better. We've talked about it for a while now. And I've told you I've had Ohio State fourth in my rankings. Fourth. Why? Because their resume doesn't justify being any higher. It's not because they don't have great players and it doesn't mean I wouldn't pick them against any of the teams ranked in the in the three spots ahead of them. I, I would I would probably on a neutral field lean Ohio State in just about every matchup right now. Uh, but ultimately, I'm in to see it to believe it business and I needed to see it. And the fourth quarter performance there on the road in a hostile setting, I thought was very impressive. They'll be well rewarded with an adjustment to the ranking coming up here in a couple days. But a great performance by the Buckeyes. They answered some questions and are now charging into the back end of their schedule, uh, hopefully with a lot of confidence based on how they played in the final 15 minutes. All right, moving along to another completely dominant performance. This one, however, went from start to finish. This was the Tennessee Volunteers. They've scored 395 points this year. That's the third most through a team's first eight games in the season in SEC history. 2018 Alabama and 96 Florida are the only two teams that had more. So you just look at what this team's doing right now and the numbers that it's comparable. Noticeably absent there, by the way, 2019 LSU. So think about that. It's the third most points scored through eight games in SEC history. 2018 Bama, 96 Florida, the only two with more. Noticeably absent. 2019 LSU. It was everyone's favorite team, right? So very impressive what we've seen from Tennessee's offense up to this point. We shouldn't be that surprised. This is a group that we told you in the preseason. The tweet was tweeted by SEC Network. We said this offense had a chance to be unstoppable. 
They're proving that to be correct. What I'm most impressed with is not what Jalen Hyatt's doing, not even so much as what Hendon Hooker's doing. Those two guys, I'm not at all surprised with their contributions, especially in Cedric Tillman's absence. I know he's back, but Hyatt always had true alpha dog capabilities with his height, with his top end speed. But the way that they force teams to bust coverage is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, how often is Hyatt wide open? How often are receivers for Tennessee completely wide open because of bust in coverage or a late adjustment that gets them free and causes miscommunication in the secondary? It's amazing to watch. Amazing to watch. And it's a testament to Josh Heupel and how they're able to create so much confusion for the opposing team. The other thing I was most impressed with probably about in this game, though, and by the way, you, you, you've you listened to me. Like I have respect for Kentucky. I don't think they're great, but I have respect for them. And anytime you beat a team that's respected by 38, it's doing something right, that's for sure. But defensively, this was by far their best performance of the year. They allowed just six points. It's their best defensive performance since 2008 when they gave up just three points to Mississippi State. They, of course, had the interceptions, and they did – and played, I thought, very physical from start to finish. It was awesome to watch. Awesome to watch. And I think another thing, too, this team, if you're going to nitpick, right? If you're going to nitpick with Tennessee, you're like, well, you know, they, they kind of maybe a lot of penalties, right? It, was, it felt clean. I mean, the performance felt clean. Just six penalties for 50 yards. Now, that's not amazing, right? Not amazing, but that is an improvement. It feels like they're taking steps in the right direction. Uh, I do think that they're maybe, you know, I mean, we're also just trying to nitpick, but I mean, okay, so you missed an extra point. I mean, like, it's like, it's cares, I guess. I mean, I, I, I don't know what you want me to nitpick because the defensive performance was the best they've looked all year. Offensively, I know that they can throw the football, but now I'm very excited about what I'm seeing from their rushing attack and how that's starting to open up. I mean, Hooker threw for 250. But they also had 40 carries for 177 yards, including, you know, Hooker contributing himself. I mean, Jalen Wright got into the action seven times for 73 yards and a score. Jabari Small was the bell cow, 21 carries for 78 yards. Princeton Fant, who's tight end, fullback, going to be back there. And he got into the action, found pay dirt himself. So very excited about what I've witnessed now from the rushing attack and how they've started to progress. And if they can get the running game going just as good as the passing game's been going, I think this offense has a chance to be really difficult to defend. And we all know who's coming up next week, right? This is a great win. This proves that you're a mature football team because it would have been very easy, very easy for Tennessee to say, hey, we got Georgia next week. You know, hey, let's just get through this Kentucky game. Let's look ahead to Georgia. We're going to be playing the number one team in the country next week for the Eastern Division crown, more than likely. Well, it would have been very easy for them to look ahead, and it didn't happen. They were dominant in every possible way, most notably by that defense. So impressed. So impressed with what I saw from that group. To hold Will Levis to just 98 yards, and Will Levis is obviously an excellent player. Excellent player. I didn't think they played very well in this in, at wide receiver. I didn't think the separation was great. I didn't love their plan. But ultimately, to keep that offense in check the way they did against that talented receiver core, which might not be at 100%, but is closer to 100% than it was a week or two ago, there's a lot of positive things going for Tennessee. I'm not going to make the comparables yet. I've seen some starting to do it. I'm not quite ready 
to start making the comparables to 2019 LSU, meaning like, hey, this team feels like a team of destiny. What a what a juggernaut, right? I'm not quite ready to get there, but they're closer today than they were yesterday, I think, in being a real, real national championship contender. But we're going to find out exactly where they stack up next week. I mean, ultimately, if you can get through and your offense doesn't skip a beat against Georgia, that'll show me and tell me all I need to know. Even if you're even in a losing effort, if your offense can score the way they've scored on everybody else against Georgia, that would be remarkable and I think would go a long way, even if they lost towards keeping Tennessee in the college football playoff discussion, no matter what. No moral victories. No moral victories. Not if you're Tennessee. We don't allow them on this show. Now, if you're Stanford, you can have moral victories. If you're Vanderbilt, you can have moral victories. But if you're Tennessee, you don't get them. There will be no moral victory next week. If you go out and lose close, no moral victory. You don't get that here. Not with us. I want you to win. I expect you to win. And if you don't, we are not going to walk away from that saying, well, we were close. No, not anymore. This program has arrived very, very quickly. And I think that they need to feel really good about how they match up next week. Because I think they have a fighting chance. And if you would have asked me that a couple weeks ago, uh, I would not have felt as good about the possibilities of Tennessee pulling the upset. All right, moving on now to, I don't want to say they're my favorite team this year, but they're really close. <laughs> they are really close. Tennessee would be up there for me. Ohio State's been a fun watch being the offensive guy that I am. I love Michigan. You guys know that. You've heard me on this show talk about how impressed I've been with Michigan for a while now. But I think my favorite team to watch almost weekly is TCU. Why? Because their games are dramatic. I mean, <laughs> their games are just chaotic, dramatic. I mean, even those... For instance, final 30 seconds of the game. The game's on ice. Okay, it's over. TCU has the football. They're it's it's you know, they're basically putting the game on ice. It's done. They can run it out. Well, free play, jump ball, touchdown to win by 10. And that affected a lot of people. You know who you are. <laughs> Especially if you were leaning towards West Virginia like I was, uh as far as how the handicapping was being done, if you will. But either way, TCU is a team that is just so entertaining. I mean, I this team in this game, and, and look, no one's going to make West Virginia's defense out to be, you know, the 85 Bears. I mean, we like, no, it's, they're, they're fine. Their defensive front's pretty good, but they're gettable. I mean, there's no doubt they're gettable, especially in the back end. But this team had 71-yard touchdown, a 55 yard play, a 51 yard play, a 30 yard play, all in the first half, all in the first half. And there was a moment in which Quentin Johnson gets a little banged up. Like, all right, wait, maybe they're number one wide receiver. Hey, that let's see. Let's see how this has an impact on Max Duggan and company. Well, he, it's like he sprinted straight out of the medical tent and ran a post. Like as he was like running out of the metal tent, medical tent, running a post, and he hits him in stride for a touchdown, Max Duggan does. I was very impressed, too, with the downfield passing. I love how Sonny Dykes, it's like, if we don't throw the ball downfield 15 times in this game, we've failed. I mean, it's, it's like, shot, shot, 
shot. It's like never ending. And it's just, it's just relentless. It's relentless, man. And our, my goodness, and you watch them, they're athletic. Uh, defensively, they got a lot of things to clean up. I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna get down and and really kind of get into the weeds a little bit, they're not great when it comes to leveraging the football against the run. They have had at times, I think, they've been a little bit vulnerable on the outside defensively. Uh, I think a, a dominant, a super dominant wide receiver could give them some fits, uh, just because I, I don't think they're great in the back end of their defense. Um, but offensively, it's really tough to find the flaws. I mean, it is really tough to find the flaws. I do think that that this defense, and if given the opportunity to play in a little bit lower scoring game, maybe the offense is not playing their best. We've seen this defense tighten the screws at times. I mean, it, I wish it was all the time, but it's some of the time. Either way, TCU, another very impressive victory. That was a difficult spot. I mean, you have come off of consecutive games in which you've had to battle back from a 17-plus point deficit. You win those games, and then you're going into Sleepy Morgantown at 11 a.m. local time for you in Fort Worth, 11 a.m., but obviously noon there in Morgantown. You're going in you know, against a team that's really not very good, three and four. Like It would have been very easy for TCU to show up and be flat. And look, they kind of were on defense. But either way, their offense is unstoppable at times. Not that dissimilar to Tennessee. All right, moving along to the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Now, this here's where I'm at with this game. And we're not going to spend a ton of time on it. Usually, this would be a game that we break down from every possible angle. Here's the big takeaways. One, Georgia can dominate the line of scrimmage. <laughs> All right. Oh my gosh, Greg, tell me something I don't know. But just watch them. That's a good, solid offensive line that Florida has. They're physical. They're solid. I'm not going to say it's littered with a bunch of future first round picks. No, it's not that. But from left to right, it's a group that works well together. Well, if you look at what they were able to do as far as stopping the run. And the Gators entered the game leading the nation in yards per carry, 6.36, okay? Well, 100 yards on 34 carries. For those that are doing the math right now in your head, I'll make it easy for you. I'd already done it, all right? That's 2.9 yards per attempt. All right, they also were able to get home against Anthony Richardson, a guy that is not sacked often. Florida had allowed... An SEC low five sacks through its first seven games. Well, Georgia got home three times. I mean, that is very impressive. That's a group that's very solid up front, like I've said. And a coaching staff that really prides itself on trying to win the line of scrimmage, trying to establish the line of scrimmage. And Georgia was having none of it throughout the day on Saturday. The other thing I'd say, too. Uh, there's a very strong argument to be made that George is the best team in the country. A very strong. Uh, I personally feel between them and Ohio State, it's kind of a coin toss. I'm not sure their resume would warrant or justify being at number one. But I think if I had to have one team to win one game, George is probably my pick, followed closely by Ohio State. But I look at this team and I just think, man, with as much talent as they have, and as many great players as they have. 
And as much as they've clicked at times, both offensively and defensively, they become very, very human. Very human when they turn the football over. I mean, you look at a game that felt like they were in complete cruise control, and the next thing you know, oh, hey, dude, hey, look, it's, it's an eight-point game. I'm sitting there, I was like, what the heck happened? I mean, Georgia, I mean, are the backups in? Like, I was thinking it was like, all right, this thing's over. Next thing you know, you look down at your phone, and you're like, what did Florida do? How are they back in it? Get that game on. It's exactly what we did. But they got to still be very, very smart when, take, when it comes to take care of the football because I think that's the way this team gets beat. That, look, you're going to have to play your A game, and they're going to have to play their B minus game. It's as simple as that. But you know what's the fastest way to get – to be minus game for the Georgia Bulldogs, turning it over. All right. So obviously when you fumble and then that, that led to a field goal, the interception led to a Gators touchdown. So I, obviously this needs to be something that they continue to focus on, continue to harp on, but still an, an awful lot to, to like about what we saw in the response. I mean, the response, I think from Georgia, when that game got tight was very, very nice. I mean, just boom. Hey, it's tight. They got the momentum. This place is starting to, starting to, it feels like it's slipping away from us a bit. No. Right down the field, score, squash all the momentum that you can possibly try to build up. The other takeaway for Georgia, continue to feed Brock Bowers. I don't care if you have to just run him on Wildcat quarterback. If that dude doesn't have 15 touches every single game, you're doing it wrong. I mean, he just has to be in the mix. He went for a career-high 154. I mean, that catch that he had down the left sideline where he kind of just reeled it back in. I, one, I don't know how he got that. I don't know how it hits on that side of a defender or whatnot, and it bounces forward. Like It was wild. But the concentration and the body control to be able to reel that in, spin, and continue forward with momentum for a touchdown, I'm not sure I can totally sum up just how impressive that was. Think about any of us, you, me, Kubiak, Jack Foster, my wife, my four-year-old son. Think about how difficult it is to be going at full speed and then spinning, like doing like a, a 360 spin with your feet still on the ground. Think about full speed, 360 spin, and then like juggle at the same time and then secure it and then take off again without really slowing down that much. Think about how difficult that would be. I mean, there are Olympic gymnasts that are not that graceful. And yet Brock Bowers is 6'4", 250. It's absurd, man. The guy is just an absolute freak. And every time he touches the football and every time he's on the field, it's a mild panic attack for the defensive coordinator as the ball is going up and going in his direction. And the fourth down played on the right side too. I mean, goodness gracious, the guy's just, he's a machine. I Double cover him and pray. <laughs> that's, that's about all you can do. All right. Finally, as far as some of the big performances from some of the biggest teams, still a lot of games that we got to get to, by the way. We're going to talk about North Carolina. We're going to talk about Louisville. We're going to talk about Kansas State. We're going to talk about the Ole Miss Rebels. We're going to talk about UConn. That's right, UConn. We're hitting all the games, all right? We're going to give you bits and pieces and tidbits on everybody. But we got to start with the Michigan Wolverines and the Michigan State Spartans. 
Look, what I'm so impressed with, and and you know Michigan's been my number one team the last few weeks, I thought their dominance and the way they completely gashed Penn State was so inspiring, it was off the charts, right? I mean, 400 yards rushing. Look at what Penn State just did to Ohio State running the football. I mean, they have nothing, nothing going whatsoever. But I watched Michigan, and I watched J.J. McCarthy, and I love very much, very much that... McCarthy is accurate, but his athleticism, man, I mean, some of those quarterback runs, as soon as he saw just one linebacker in the hole, it's like, boop, I'm taking off, I'm going. All right, Donovan Edwards is, an, is just a, so exciting, so fun to watch. We know Corum's phenomenal. The offensive line is ridiculous. How about this stat? All right, this one kind of blew, blew me away. Blake Corum had 177 yards rushing, right? That was on 33 carries, 177. He had a couple touchdowns. It was a really nice performance. It was actually the best performance by a Michigan back against Michigan State since Mike Hart back in 2005. So statistically speaking, an excellent performance. But how about the fact that 93 of his 177 yards came before contact? What do you think that tells you? One, Blake Corum's got great vision. Two, that offensive line is moving some people around. Michigan, I think, continues to have the recipe to be able to slow down Ohio State, to be able to slow down a Tennessee team should they face off against each other down the road. Michigan is the team right now that I think can dictate and control the tempo of the game. With what they do on defense, the group that's allowed just 92 points this year, I know I know they played awful teams in the preseason. I get that. Preseason, whatever. Non-conference. I know they played awful teams. I get that. And I know that's going to statistically skew just how good their defense looks. But 92 points is 92 points. That's the second fewest allowed by Michigan in eight games since 2000. They allowed 91 points through eight games in 15. So just one point off the mark from the 2015 team, which was obviously a, a very, very good team in their own right. So Michigan, another dominant performance. Can't say it's shocking. I'm sure a lot of people will want me to comment on what transpired between Michigan State and the Michigan players after the fact. Um, and I know Jim Harbaugh has been outspoken about it being an assault. I know Ward Manuel, the athletic director of Michigan, uh, they are steadfast in trying to make sure that they get all the information so that they can either press charges or what. That's not what this show's for. Like what I saw was despicable. But I also don't know all the information. So I'm going to resist the urge to comment on it until I have more information about what went down and why it escalated to the point in which it escalated. But a despicable, despicable video. And hopefully something will will be, hopefully we'll get more information as soon as humanly possible about it so we can appropriately judge what the action should be here in the future for some of those Michigan State football players. Lions, Tigers, and tailgates. Oh, my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and the foam fingers, there's the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip, sausage, chili, mac, and cheese, Eckridge smoked sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckridge.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough 
conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, time for another Monday staple. All right, it's low-hanging fruit. Coops, what do we got? All right, first one, Syracuse will be lucky to finish 7-5 and five with the remaining schedule. Low-hanging fruit or truth? <laughs> we went through this. Uh, we obviously did Syracuse this past weekend. Uh, have I mentioned that? I'm not like shamelessly promoting a game that we already did. So for those that think I am, I'm, I'm not. You, wouldn't do me a whole lot of good to promote a game that already happened. I hope you watched. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. And I hope you like when Joe, Katie, and I are on the call. Because I certainly uh, had a great time calling the game and had a great time visiting with two programs I don't get to see as often as I'd like. It's actually my first trip to the JMA Wireless Dome. I'm not calling it the Carrier Dome. No, it's JMA Wireless. They paid, they paid good money for that naming rights deal. I'm going to give it to them. Uh, so... I think when you look at their schedule, we always knew that it was extremely backloaded, right? It was going to be very tough down the stretch. But let's look at the games. I don't think that anybody felt like they were going to be able to match up real well against the likes of Clemson, nor were they going to be able to match up very well against Notre Dame. It just wasn't going to happen. They're not big enough. They're not physical enough. Here's the problem. I think they match up fine against Wake Forest. Because I think Wake Forest is uh, not going to overpower you. I think Boston College is awful. Right now, they're sitting at 6-2. and two. Uh, Do I think they can beat Florida State at home? I do. I think they can beat them. I think they'll have to play well, but I think it's possible. And I think that this road trip to Pitt is going to be a good bar- barometer of what we're going to get from the Orange down the stretch. Because that's a physical football team. Pitt is very, very physical, want to run the football. They're going to take the exact same approach that Clemson used in the fourth quarter with success. And they're going to take the approach that Notre Dame used from start to finish by running right downhill at them over and over and over and over again. The good news is Abanacanda is an amazing back, but he's not 230 pounds like Audric Estime. All right, it's a little bit different animal that he'll face this week. But either way, this will be a physical group. Can they rally the troops? And if they play well this week, they can beat Pitt and probably should beat Pitt, frankly. But if they can play well this week, even if they lose, if it's close or if it's tight, I'll feel really good about them finishing probably eight and four. But that would be about the ceiling because I, I'm not sure I see them, you know, threading the needle and going three and one in their final four games. All right, staying in the ACC. If North Carolina runs the table, including beating Clemson in the ACC championship game, they have a legit chance at the playoff. Low-hanging fruit or truth? I'm going to say that is uh, low-hanging fruit. And it's not because North Carolina is not excellent. One, they need Notre Dame to keep winning. They need to be rooting for the Irish. That helps a lot. But North Carolina, man, and, and I'm telling you, it is... I think it's borderline criminal that Drake May is as, I guess, under the radar as he is. I mean, it's borderline criminal. Now, I'm not suggesting he's sitting at the top of my Heisman Trophy ballot. But if we're really trying to evaluate the most outstanding players in college football, and I don't want it to be just about stats and all this other stuff. Like, stats are just... 
stats can be what you want them to be. Like, it, you know what? If I, if I take the ball like this and you snap it to me and I toss it to a receiver that's one yard in front of me that goes down and he takes it 80 yards to the house, that goes down as an 80-yard passing touchdown and that has a huge impact on your QBR and your passer rating. Oh, 80-yard touchdown pass. Wow. Like, it looks good, right? I mean, you can inflate and move and adjust the numbers to better a guy's campaign to make a stronger case for the Heisman, all right? Like, it's fairly manageable, I might add. But when you watch Drake May, I mean, this guy is a bona fide, no doubt, NFL franchise quarterback to me, no doubt. Obviously, anything can happen. You know, the guy all of a sudden, you know, goes off the rails and, you know, forgets what team he starts playing for and starts throwing picks all over the place and all this other stuff. But this guy will be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. I feel as confident in delivering that message as I have just about anything else on this podcast through the however many episodes we've done. He is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I'm telling you, man, North Carolina, people have kind of written them off. They watched that Appalachian State game. They don't defend anybody. They watched the way they played really in the first month of the season. They said, oh, these guys, they're they're pretenders, man. They can't defend. They might not be able to. But it doesn't change the fact that their quarterback is the ultimate equalizer. The ultimate equalizer. That dude is going to give them a chance against teams that have way more talent than they do. No doubt. Plus, they have two wide receivers now. If you look at what North Carolina has on the outside, it's no longer just a Josh Downs show. All right? The emergence of Antoine Green yesterday. Now, he had come into yesterday's game having just had 13 receptions. Well, yesterday, 10 for 180 and a couple touchdowns. I, I am very, very optimistic about what I saw from North Carolina. And then stymieing the team, Pitt was in a pretty good rhythm. I mean, they were up 24-14, and then boom, North Carolina scores 28 unanswered and outscored them 28-7 to in the second half. I love what I've seen from North Carolina right now. I love what I've seen from Drake May. And the fact that he's not being mentioned alongside the likes of Hendon Hooker, Bryce Young, and C.J. Stroud is borderline criminal. All right. Moving on. Jimbo Fisher's time is limited in College Station. Low-hanging fruit or truth? Limited's a relative term, though, is it not? Mm-hmm. Ten years might be limited. Time, you want me to put a time frame on it? <laughs> Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think that uh, the way the program's being currently run, I think it's a little low-hanging fruit to answer your question. The way the program's being currently run is uh, there's an expiration date coming. No doubt. Uh, they need they need to change things up. They need to bring in an influx of new staff members, probably. They need to bring in some additional eyes to scout what they're doing offensively and maybe think of ways of maybe becoming just the tiniest bit more creative. Uh, they, I think the way it's currently being run, Jimbo's going to be there. I, I don't, I mean, you could tell me that there's a guy in Texas that's going to write an $86 million check to get out of it. Yeah. I'm from Dallas. That ain't happening. All right. It's not happening. 
Not when it's fairly obvious that, yes, while Jimbo has his issues, the players feel like a little bit more of an issue right now. I think there needs to be massive changes and adjustments with how they recruit, what they prioritize in recruiting. And I'm optimistic that A&M will get back to doing some of the things they've done in the last handful of years. I think they're going to be fine. Still going to be an attractive destination for a lot of teams or a lot of players. Still going to be an attractive destination because of what they have from an NIL standpoint. But you cannot go after and target guys whose sole focus is to maximize their earning potential in NIL. Just can't do that. You have to go after guys on the trail that love A&M, that want to go to A&M, that either grew up A&M fans and have genuine pride, genuine pride in everything that A&M stands for. Because if you go out and have a bunch of hired guns, you're not going to be... There's not going to be the investment in the program. There's not going to be the investment in the culture that's necessary to win at the highest levels of football. This is a young team. This is a young roster. And they have not handled adversity well either. So I would expect a complete kind of rip off the Band-Aid here from Texas A&M, a total evaluation of the program from top to bottom, and probably a, a recalibration of how they want to manage their recruiting moving forward. But this is still a place where you can win and you can win big. So I remain very, very, very optimistic about the future of Texas A&M. I just think they need to tinker a little bit with their recipe right now because the results that they've gotten from this approach that they've used the last couple of years has certainly left an awful lot to be desired. All right, it's Halloween. So we're going to sprinkle in some very, um, I guess, pun like punny questions about college football. No, we're like, going to get into the spirit of it. Yeah, we're, right? yeah, we're getting, right. if Some of these questions, when you first send them over, like I felt like I needed to go get to my spirit closet and have a, have a spirit to think about just how corny some of these questions were. But I, I'm on board with it now. I am curious, however, like if you went as anyone this Halloween night or whatever, Yes. What would you dress up as? Right on the spot? Jeez. I think it'd be hilarious to dress up as Lou Holtz and walk around and trick or treat, you know, and like kind of go through that whole thing. I got the whole costume down. I got all the 80s gear still. I think it would work great. Uh, I think nothing, you wouldn't like dress up at, of course, it, would, would you go as South Carolina Lou Holtz or Notre Dame Lou Holtz? National Championship Lou Holtz, all right? Not, not one in 10 Lou Holtz at South Carolina. What about Augusta National member? What about Augusta National member Lou Holtz? No, no, not not that he probably gets confused as a caddy more than a player when he's there. He's a tiny man, you know. <laughs> he can coach so, him though. He, he's, he, he's, 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 been he's a great f- motivator. Great motivator. He's, he's been a fun guy to get to know. That's for sure. All right, so this is your segment. I have no responsibility for this whatsoever. Uh, you just tell me where you want to go. Let's rip. All right, just, just lean into it, Greg. All right, lean into it a little bit. All I'm right, gonna so lean. I'm going to lean. Give me a team that is scary good. Well, there's first of all, there's I think it's right now there are four teams that have really separated themselves, right? Um, I would like to include TCU in that mix badly. Uh, you know me, I, I love TCU this year, I think they're exciting. I think Duggan's playing his tail off. 
Uh, I love their personnel at the skill positions. I think Kendry at running back is probably one of the most underrated players in America. So I'd love to include them in the mix, but it feels like the four that are in the top four are a cut above, right? The the team that I think's probably best that I would not like to play against because when they rev their engine, they can flat out go is Georgia. You're going to say, well, hang on a second. What about Ohio State when they rev their engine? Yes, 100%. I love Ohio State. I love Ohio State. But I also know that Ohio State last year got pounded against a team that could control the line of scrimmage. And uh, it doesn't mean that they haven't improved drastically on that side of the ball. I think they have. I'm so optimistic with what I've seen from Ohio State's defense. Um, granted, yes, few things that they'd probably like to have back from yesterday, but still, I think that there's things that are, there's still some things and some questions that I have like, okay, if you can expect JT, you know, Tui Molo out to play like that every week, great. They'll be in, they'll be all world on defense, but I don't know if that's a reasonable expectation. So I would say the team that's the scariest to play against right now because of their balance, both offensively and defensively and their experience in big games. It'd be Georgia right now, I think would be the team I'd least like to play. All right. This one was set up so easy. What team or teams tricked you into thinking they were in for a big year? (laughs) Oh man. Well, there's a laundry list here. Uh, (laughs) You know, I mean, I think, we were all kind of on board with NC State a little bit, right? We were kind of all on board for Houston. They're out of the group of five. They've been a fairly significant disappointment. Um, I think a lot of us wanted to believe in, in Oklahoma to a certain extent with Dylan Gabriel coming in and thinking that Venables is going to be able to come in and wave the magic wand and they were just going to be better on that side of the ball just because. So those would be three that come to mind, but... In order to be tricked, that's the ultimate word. That's that's the that's the biggest word in this whole deal. Then you had to at least think at one point they were really, really good. And I think Oklahoma State and Wake Forest proved this past weekend just how human they are. Let's just talk quickly about Wake Forest for a second. And we told you last week, said, man, kind of lean in Louisville here. Why? Because Louisville's had Wake Forest number. They'd beaten them, I believe, two two in a row going into last weekend. Uh, they, for whatever reason, they just they've played well against Wake Forest, and we know Wake Forest is a good team and can score. But to see what they were doing in the third quarter of that football game is it's almost mind numbing. I mean, I'm sitting there, and it's like, how is it? that they are getting pressure again off the left-hand side. And Sam Hartman, it was like deja vu. He's carrying the ball like a loaf of bread, gets it knocked out, fumble. All right, happens a couple times. He ends up with six turnovers on the day. Sam Hartman, a guy that has played a ton of football that is so good and is such a huge catalyst for why they are successful there at Wake Forest. I mean, he's a big reason why this offense can go the way it goes. But to have six turnovers is inexcusable. Eight turnovers for the team in the second half of the football game. That's the most by an FBS team in any half 
over the last 15 seasons. So to put that in perspective, that was historically bad there in that second half of that football game. Obviously, the biggest issue came there in the third quarter. Just inexcusable throws being made by Sam Hartman as well. Just careless, man. Careless. And Louisville rolled them to the tune of 48-21. 35 points scored by the Louisville Cardinals there in the third quarter alone. Just the tied for the most that they've ever had in school history in a quarter. The last time they scored 35 in a quarter was way back. You guys remember the game. It was that great game against Washington. That was in 1913. And by the way, when I read that note, it said Washington, and then in parentheses, it says 10. That might not be like Washington, Washington. That might be Washington and Tennessee. So I don't know, but either way, not a good performance from Wake Forest. But the only performance that was worse than Wake Forest might have been the performance by the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, we have to give credit where credit is due. Chris Kleiman is a legend. Absolute legend. They have their heart ripped out last week. They give up the big lead to TCU. TCU comes storming all the way back, steals it from them, had some attrition in the game, not lost not one but two quarterbacks. And next thing you know, they come up short. Well, obviously still everything to play for, and this was a massive game involving two teams that had legitimate hopes of getting to the Big 12 championship game. Now it looks like Kansas State's going to have the inside track. Assuming they can replicate that performance, shoot, man, that might be the leader in the clubhouse as far as my pick there in the Big 12 championship game, assuming they get the chance to play against TCU again. But to roll the way they rolled, that was the fifth largest shutout win against a top 10 team in AP poll era. And the largest since 1966. Think about that. Top five performance ever against a top 10 team. And the best that we've seen in nearly 60 years. It's absurd to think about that. And kudos to Chris Kleiman too. You are officially the always college football giant slayer. He has now improved his record to four and two against top 10 teams. So uh, yes, Oklahoma State in a roundabout way of having that discussion Oklahoma State and Wake Forest would be the two teams that really tricked me because I liked both. Well, no longer. Those teams fell badly in my eyes over the weekend. That's a tough loss for Oklahoma State as a top 10 team. That just not a good look. No. All right. Who is treating their fans to an unexpected season? Whew. Tennessee, I guess, would be a good one, right? I mean, but the problem is, I don't. I think their fans expected to win the national championship this year. So, I, right. So, I mean, is it unexpected for Tennessee fans? Probably not. Are they being treated to, or do they just feel like this was a birthright? Um, so, I, I would say, I would say Tennessee, but I'm not sure anybody anticipated, you know, this type of of advancement from Tennessee, but. Uh, I don't think their fans ever thought they were that far removed from being a contender. Um, looking at everything else, it's hard for me not to acknowledge what Illinois is doing. I mean, Illinois, and, and yesterday's game, a little bit odd, right? I mean, Casey Thompson and Nebraska, they kind of have the lead. They have some nice things going for them. And he gets hurt, and the next thing you know, the backup's in, and 
Nebraska really couldn't do anything else the rest of the day. So all things considered, last weekend's game really not an indicator of how good I feel about Illinois going forward. And do I think Illinois uh, can go toe-to-toe with Ohio State? Probably not, right? I mean, if given the opportunity to play against Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, I I don't think they'd fare real well, but I think they could play some keep away. And if you could play keep away and run the football and establish the line of scrimmage and you run Chase Brown 40 times, and next thing you know, you have 37 minutes time of possession. I could see them kind of having the right recipe to maybe be able to keep Ohio State's offense off the field. But it's been very impressive to watch that group. And then obviously against Michigan, you know, they're going to match up pretty well. I mean, that Michigan, in a lot of ways, does some of the similar things from a formation standpoint, from a vertical run game standpoint to what Illinois does at times. I mean, Michigan's a little bit more gap trap. Illinois is a little bit more pin and pull, but they'll, I mean, they have all types of run schemes and things like that. Either way, they're teams that want to establish the line of scrimmage, right? That's the similarity. You can take it as far as you want. They want to establish the line of scrimmage. Brett Bielema, that's always been his MO. Now that's of course the MO for the Michigan Wolverines as well. So I guess most surprising would have to be Illinois. All right. Last one quickly here. What's the most overrated Halloween candy? Everyone's going to say candy corn. But uh, to me, that was never rated highly to begin with. It's basically sugar wax. That's what it tastes like to me. I mean, it's fine. I I mean, I'm not going to sit there and indulge in like handfuls and handfuls of candy corn. But I know that will be popular amongst our listeners. The most overrated candy in general is anything related to black licorice. It's the worst. Why anyone would even want black licorice to me makes no sense. Good and plenties to me, those should be illegal in the lower 48 states. Like I think those are the worst candies ever. My mom loves them, loves them. Give me some good and plenties or hot tamales. Those are like my mom's two favorite foods. I'm like, what? Like those are terrible, terrible. I don't hate hot tamales, but good and plenties, oh. Oh, it makes me it makes my stomach hurt just thinking about it. So, anything black licorice would be my choice. But I would think that if we put a poll out, candy corn would probably win the landslide. But you don't get candy corn on a door to door. You know, the kids don't get like little packets of candy corn. And if you do, you probably should throw them out anyway. But like, you know, if you're if you're out there with the kids tomorrow night and somebody hands you like a full size almond joy bar, you're gonna be happy. <laughs> um. Almond Joy is not really my go-to either. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think of like some other ones. Most of the most of the chocolate-related candy bars pretty good, right? Like you're not ever going to kind of be upset. Like there's some that you probably prefer to others, but willingly will eat any and all. Uh, I am more of a sour candy kind of guy. Um, like my go-tos are Sour Skittles, Sour Patch Kids. Uh, you remember those Sour Straws that you used to have with like the, you know, they had the, I mean, they were so good. And they came in like a little pack that was like this long and you pull it out and there's like a little plastic deal. I think they're called Sour Straws. I, either way, that, those were phenomenal. So that like that's kind of my cup of tea. Um, so the decadent, you know, f- fancy chocolate candies, not really my thing. So 
Uh, maybe I'm a weirdo for that. Maybe I just have the taste buds of a of an 11 year old. Um, but if you gave me the opportunity to have like Godiva chocolate or or like a, I mean like a legit Godiva chocolate or a, you know a handful of Sour Patch Kids, I'm taking the Sour Patch Kids every day of the week. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Do you have ambitious hiring goals for the last quarter of 2022? With a powerful hiring partner, big goals are no big deal. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed makes hiring all in one place so easy because it takes 10 minutes or less for most small business employers to post a job, according to Indeed Data US. Indeed also has a jaw-dropping pool of talent. In fact, three out of four U.S. online job seekers search for jobs on Indeed each month, according to Comstore. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to sponsor your job post at Indeed.com slash always. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 offer. All right, I want to give a quick shout out to a couple teams that came up short last week, but bounced back in impressive fashion this week. The Ole Miss Rebels, 390 rushing yards against Texas A&M. Such an impressive performance. And to add insult to injury, they did so against their former defensive coordinator. DJ Durkin was at Ole Miss last year. He's now at A&M. And they ran it right down his throat, man. Quinchon Judkins is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So very impressive to see what Ole Miss was able to do on the road. I thought that it was a game that maybe A&M could steal. Uh, they played pretty well. They really did. Played pretty well. But Ole Miss ultimately too much offensively. And also want to give a shout out to, to the UCLA Bruins. Um, they have now scored 30 points in 11 straight games. It's the longest active streak in the FBS. Them in Tennessee. So we all know what Tennessee's offense is. Well, guess what? Alongside them, UCLA, 11 straight games with at least 30 points. Charbonnet had an unbelievable day. Another just ridiculous performance. 21 carries, 198 rushing yards. He, of course, set his career high earlier in the season against Utah. Well, he matched it against Stanford in the dominant victory there against the Cardinals. So little shout out to a couple teams that bounced back after disappointing performances the week before. And then final thought, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm not saying that the coach of the year should go to anyone other than Sonny Dykes or Josh Heupel. Like that's, that's where it should go. There's no doubt. I mean, maybe there's big performance or a big breakthrough here in the next four weeks to change or alter more my decision. But right now, if, if coach of the year was a horse race, Heupel and Sonny Dykes are, in the lead by a pretty wide margin, right? But Jim Mora might need to be on the list. Why? Do you realize that UConn 
That's right, UConn. Uh, they just beat Boston College this past weekend. Not a game you probably watched, if I'm going to be honest with you. Not sure that many people that didn't go to UConn, didn't go to BC. Probably not watching that one. 13-3 was the final, and it was ugly. Ugly. All right, I didn't watch hardly any of it, if you want me to be completely honest. I watched some of the highlights, though, and <laughs> saw that it was a game I don't want to watch based on the highlights. All right, but either way, Jim Mora has done a remarkable job in year one at Stores, Connecticut right now, man. He, the, here's some of the milestones he's broken this year. All right. He snapped an 18 game FBS losing streak. They beat Boston College to win their first game in six years over a Power Five opponent. That was also their first ever win against Boston College. Boston College had not lost to a team in New England since 1978. And there you go. UConn's able to get it done this past weekend. UConn went 10 and 50. 10 and 50 from 2016 to 2021. 10 and 50, y'all. They won 20% of their games or less. Less. What's one out of six? I don't know. Whatever it is, it's not, not a good winning percentage. Long story short. But they are currently sitting at four and five. And there are winnable games on the schedule. They still have to play against UMass and they play against Army. Both games are winnable. If Jim Mora takes the UConn puppies to a dang bowl game, he better be on somebody's list for coach of the year because that feat would be nothing short of remarkable. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. And we appreciate the word of mouth that you're giving us. It's been amazing, man. We've had people starting to come up to me saying, I love your podcast. Listen to the podcast. Great time. Listen to you guys. You do an awesome, awesome job. I mean, that, that never used to happen. I mean, ever. Early. I mean, look, when you start a podcast, you start at zero. All right. So we, we, are, we have started and taken off and it's getting bigger and bigger and our numbers are getting better and better. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate your help in supporting us with this vision and trying to bring you the most comprehensive college football daily show in the United States of America. There's a lot of good ones, but we, we're proud of what we've accomplished so far. You can also hit up the show on social media. That's always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. That'll do it. For Mark Kubiak, for Jack Foster, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.